All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne. I'm Mariah Humphreys. And today we are going to be covering a uh, what some people would consider a depressing topic, but for me, mm. I find it kind of exciting. I mean, after being here enough years. Yeah. I look at it, in some ways, it's depressing because there's always more I want to get done in the summer. Uh huh. But, you know, but there's a lot of fun in the wintertime, right? Well, and that's what we're talking about. Winter if is around the corner. Yeah. So anybody's living up here in Alaska, you've probably noticed lights getting less and less. Daylight's going away. Yep. Temperatures are dropping. I think they're calling for snow this week in Fairbanks, aren't what? they? Really? Yeah, later in the week, they're calling for a little bit of snow. We're, be, we're already down in the 30s and below freezing at night. So at least it has been at my house. So it's... uh. <laughs> winter's getting real and uh we're going to talk about the reasons at least if you live in alaska or really anywhere in the northern regions of the country uh where a lot of this stuff is valuable mm-hmm. except for maybe the last one um there's a lot of stuff you can get out and do in the winter time there are a lot of reasons to be excited for the winter time it's always like you said a little dis when you didn't get everything you wanted done especially around the house when Never the yard do. the yeah. yard starts getting covered up with snow but there's a lot of stuff to do we're gonna be talking about all that um but before we do, guys, if this is your first episode listening to us, or if you've been listening to us for a while, you know it is a more based around being kind of an educational platform. So if you have any questions about hunting in the northern region of Alaska, um, definitely reach out to us. You can hit us at our uh, social medias. If you search at The Northern Hunter on either Facebook or Instagram, you'll be able to get to us. Um, if you go to our website, thenorthernhunter.com, we've got a contact button there. Just throw a little bit of information in. And that'll get us get a message emailed to us. And we are uh, we're always growing. We're always trying to do more and bring more information mm-hmm. out to you guys. So if you'd like to support us, uh, the easiest way is just sharing the show with your friends, subscribing to it, liking it on whatever platform you're listening to it. And uh, if you wouldn't mind while you're on the website, if you go to the shop page, you can get some merch. Right. Uh, that really helps us out. And we have a partners page with a bunch of great companies that have all uh, believed in what we're doing and decided to sponsor us. We've got discount codes and stuff like that. Uh, it's all listed there, both on the website and in the show notes. If you decide to go grab up some great gear from these companies and use that discount code, it helps them out and it really mm-hmm. helps us out too. So we appreciate all that support there. Um, before we get into wintertime though, uh, 
moose season, at least firearm season, I should say, in, in the region closest to where we live. Right. Just closed down. I mean, a lot at the of time state. of this recording. Actually, it's been closed for a couple of days now. Right. Well, um, by the time this comes out, it'll be almost a week. Almost a week. Yeah. No, it'll be, it'll have been over a week. Yeah. So how was, uh, how'd your moose season go? At least your firearm well, season. Well, I put a lot of time into it. Mm-hmm. As I told you before we started recording here, I hunted 13 of the 15 day season. Yep. 13 days out of the 15 day season. I couldn't hunt all the mornings because of work and such, but I always right. would get out and pretty much hunted the same spot, same area. Okay. And I got yep. to, there was a spot I could drive to and walk to like 10 minute walk, mm-hmm. sit down, call and hunt. And, you know, for a few hours each night, once I'd, I'd get in there and try to get in there before it start, the temperature started dropping, because that's usually when the moose start to move. Yep. I saw some Then cows. you're in there quiet, right. sitting. Yep. I saw some cows and some calves. Um, didn't see any bulls, which was, you know, depressing. But <laughs> that's kind yeah. of the way it, it, it works. You know, there's some other guys in here that were hunting in the same area. They were in a, hunting a little better spot mm-hmm. um, in that same area. And he saw a lot of cows. Yeah. But he didn't get see any bulls either. You know, I've seen a, a steady drop the last mm-hmm. couple of years. I mean, even just driving around. You know, you used to see him on the side of the road all the time. And you still do every once in a while, but not nearly what it was five years ago, six years ago, anything like that. Um, and I don't know if that's due to the winter, the ice mm-hmm. rain we got, hunting pressure or whatever it might be. But it just seems like there's not as many as there used to be, if you were to ask me. Um, right. Spots I used to hunt where guys would pull 15 bulls out of there in a season, you know, in mm-hmm. large areas. And now you're lucky to get three or four. Right. Well, and, you know, before, before the, the, uh, the big cow hunt, I don't remember what year that was. I remember it mm-hmm. all happening. And I remember driving, my dad used to moose hunt Yeah. in unit 20B mm-hmm. with a bow, even during rifle season. And the way he would do it is he would drive around mm-hmm. and through neighborhoods and and look for moose. Yeah. And he'd find a moose and go knock on somebody's door and say, hey, do you mind if I shoot this bull moose out of your yard? And most of the time, yeah, sure. Right? Yep. And he'd walk up and, you know, he'd, he'd sneak up and put an arrow in it, right? And It's a very Midwestern way to hunt. <laughs> if, it, it, you, if you think about it, if you if you grew up around mm-hmm. like like where I'm from with farm country, right. <laughs> that's exactly what you do is right. you go, go knock on the farmer's door and say, hey, can I hunt these deer? Yeah. And, and, that's what he did for years, you know, and not necessarily always driving around. There's a lot of times he'd go walk in area or something yeah, absolutely. like that. But he got a moose every year for a long time. Mm-hmm. And once they did all the big cow hunts, yeah, that uh, it really decimated the moose population in mm-hmm. 20B, yeah. and it hasn't recovered. Yeah, and I think Dalton may have mentioned that a little bit. I think he did. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if it ever will quite recover like it did. They'd have to really shut it down a lot. There, there's a lot of varying opinions on what it would take to get that to yeah. come back and. Um, I, I can tell you just in the 14, 15 years I've mm-hmm. lived here, it's, it's definitely gone down quite you know, a bit. And, um, and I remember that as, as being a young kid and hunting with my dad right? mm-hmm. and, and then quickly that how quickly it changed from, you know, you talked about seeing moose on the side of the road five or six years ago, or even just a couple of years ago. Yeah. And it still happens, but you know, not just moose on the side of the road. Not during moose season, but moose on the side of the road so much that that's how you could hunt. Right. We had a lot of moose. Yeah. And and I got my first moose by doing the same thing, pretty much. Same kind of situation. Shot mm-hmm. it out of somebody's yard in a neighborhood. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And perfectly legal, perfectly viable. Legal with my bow. Right? Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's it's sad that it's not like that anymore. Definitely right. increases the difficulty, makes it a lot harder for a lot of people to get meat. Right. Well, and that's like we talked about in the, in a prior episode is mm-hmm. a, a lot of this moose hunting. It's not 
you know, just a for fun thing. Right. You know, this is how people are feeding their families. They're filling right. the freezers. It's, it's, you, you get one animal down, you're good for the year. And, and right. a lot of people rely on that and it's, it's getting harder. You're having to go farther. Um, that's kind of what I ended up doing most of the, the rifle season mm-hmm. down here. I was, I was actually doing, I was dedicating a lot more time to scouting than mm-hmm. I was, uh, um, necessarily pushing hard for hunting i've got right. some later season plans that are still in play that I'm, I'm working on for for an actual longer hunt but uh one thing and i recommend this to a lot of people too hunt scouting before season is awesome mm-hmm. we always recommend that scouting during season is even better because now you're not even you're not only seeing okay this is a good spot mm-hmm. for whether it's moose or bear or anything else you're seeing how many other people know it's a good spot right you're seeing how much competition you have in that area. Now you can go in there and estimate ahead of time based on wheeler tracks and things like that. that you see evidence of camps and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, how many people you think are in there, but you really get a good idea of, of the competition level in an area when you go there during season. And, you know, it's never a bad thing to, to go to an area and just check it out and see, see what you're right. dealing with. Um, and then you kind of know for the, the year ahead, that's, um, what I've been dedicating a lot of time to trying to figure out good spots that are a little bit more maybe out there, maybe a little harder right. to get to things like that. Um, we've talked about that a lot, you know, just making sure you're not on top of everybody else. Cause that's when everybody diminishes their own right, uh, right. efforts. But, um, you know, moose hunting, uh, 20B, the season closes on the 15th of September. Uh, hopefully everybody knew that already. And <laughs> 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 you're not listening to this while you're out right. there. Um, but it doesn't mean moose all over the state is closed. There's some areas it's, it's that not, go yeah. till the 25th. A lot of areas that go till the 25th. Mm-hmm. Um, there's areas actually that go till October 1st in some areas of the state. Right. Um, there's some actual later winter hunts. So there's not, it's not like all, all hope is lost. There's archery hunts that are still open. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty much what all of us are, are pushing at. So Yeah, there's a lot of guys gearing up now to go, at least not necessarily when this podcast uh comes out but Mm -hmm. when we're recording it which is about you know a week prior yeah um there's a lot of guys gearing up right now to head out because the later the season the better the hunt usually is because of the rut deeper into the rut yep they don't even head out the the weather's colder yep Mm -hmm. they're they're moving around more exactly that's kind of what i'm i'm hoping to get into there um but we'll see we'll see what happens it's always you know it's a hunt not a not a guarantee so (laughs) that's that's the part that makes it fun um so with the uh, with the snowfall right around the corner, though, um, after moose season, essentially October is a pretty slow month. There's um, not a whole lot going on in October, I'd say. Yeah, it, it depends on what, um, what what you're looking at. I mean, a lot. I know for me, I've gone out done a lot of predator hunting. We talked about that in bears in October. Yeah, it's not. It's oh, not going to yeah, be. It's not going to be sure. you know yeah. fast like the kind of hunting you're looking at in right in um. You know, for moose season. Moose season is probably by far the biggest, most hunters in the woods. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. The, uh, I would say bears and wolves are pretty much the only thing you can really chase in October. I know most predator seasons don't open, like by predator, I mean like fox, lynx, mm-hmm. things like that, um, until November in some, in yeah. most units. Um, sometimes even later than that, depending on species. Right. Um, and, uh, I don't know. You have, we'll just dive right into this first okay. one here. Um, you have a lot more experience at this than I do, so I'll let you do a lot of the talking here, but trapping, right? uh, trapping is probably one of the best ways I would think to stay busy 
in the winter from everything I've been it, told. It is a good way to keep <laughs> stay busy. Yeah, it's a lot of work, a lot of effort. Um, I've not run my own trap line. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've witnessed trap lines. I've gone out and walked things, but um, so you have a mm-hmm. lot. You kind of grew up doing that stuff. I did, yeah. And uh, so why don't you go into kind of when you guys started doing that, like what that would look like and the kind of gear okay. that people should look at if they're looking to get in like a, a trap line going this year. If you're looking to start a trap line this year, so there's there's two ways to run a trap line. Mm-hmm. One is off of sled, snow machine. Yep. Or snowmobile, depending on where you're at. Um, <laughs> everybody knows what we're talking about. And the other is on foot and snowshoe. And there's guys that really like, there's the purists that like to do it on snowshoe. More power to you. I would love to do it that way if I had the time, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. it's not the effort that I'd be afraid of. It's yeah. the time. Right. Yeah. Like I, have, I have a hard enough time. I don't ever have time to do all the things I want to do, yeah. right? I work a full-time job, and I'm part of this podcast, mm-hmm. and a million other things going on, trying Yo. to get ready for winter, right? Yeah. You know, that's a- that, that, and, that, and like we said at the beginning, the, you know, I, I look forward to the track, you know, whether I trap this year or not, I look forward to the trapping and the predator hunting and, mm-hmm. and all the stuff that comes that we can do in the wintertime, hunting and non-hunting, while, yep. you know, excursions in the outdoors. Uh, but the part I don't like is all the stuff I have to get ready that I should have got done in the middle of summer <laughs> and, and now winter's coming, so now I have to get it done right. if it's going to happen. Yeah, before the snow gets covered, right. or snow covers all the ground Seems and, like, and like, temperatures drop. And, you know, I've got a bunch of dirt work I'm still planning on doing, mm-hmm. and like all this stuff. And, you know, a lot of this stuff doesn't happen until October for most for most guys, I think. But yeah, it's just, most of the time. It's just the way it goes. And like you say, October, moose season's over. There's not a lot going on. So I think yep. that's part of the reason that happens the way it does. Absolutely. But um, trapping. So what you need if you're going to start out? Well, obviously, you need a snow machine if mm-hmm. you're going to run it that way. I would recommend that. Yeah. Unless you have, you know, you have a free weekend every weekend mm-hmm. or a free day every week. Yeah. That you have all day to walk or two days, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Because, um, you know, there's length. How long are you going to set it up? You know, how long are you going to, how long is it going to be? Obviously, it can be a lot longer with a snow machine. Right. Yeah. Than on foot. Yeah. You can talk, you're talking from like a couple of miles to like, a hundred plus miles sometimes, right. now, I mean, depending on how committed these people are to it. Now, right. obviously those are people that probably aren't working full time in the winter. But, well, a hundred plus but, mile trap line can be run in a day. Yeah. Um, if you're on, on a snow machine, if you got a good trail right. and you got to yeah. know what you're doing, right. You just, you just move, move, move. And you, and, and, and the way that would work is any trap line, usually the way it works. Mm-hmm. Once you get it set up is you start but you start out and you just go checking every trap. You're checking the traps. A lot of times you pull up to it and you won't even get off the machine because mm. it all looks good. Right. But a lot of times you're dusting snow off because there's buildup on top of it or, mm-hmm. you know, on top of the trap and you're going to freshen up the bait, maybe freshen up with a little scent, by the yeah. way. Uh, Batum 907 has trapping lures. Absolutely, um, they do. And use code TNHP mm-hmm. at checkout and get a discount there. A nice one. Very nice one, actually. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, you have to check out some of the trapping lures. I, don't, I haven't used any of her trapping lures, so maybe I'll have to do that this okay. year. Okay, yeah. But uh, anyhow, uh, you'll freshen it up, and you just do that. Next next one, you know, a lot of guys will try to run a loop, but a lot of times you just, it's called a line for a reason. You run a straight line out, and it's stri- and then you ride the same trail back. Yep. Or sometimes it's like a big circle kind of thing, and then so they'll run part of it back, and then like a, you've got like a cutoff shortcut back. Okay, Because yep. you, you check it, and you set it on the way out, and then you just ride back. Yeah. So like most of your day, is getting out there. And once you get out there, well, then it's a pretty fast ride back. Mm-hmm. But that's also when you're going to get cold. Yeah. Because 
working during the day, you know, the sun's up, it's warmer, you know, it might be 10, 20 degrees warmer mm-hmm. than it will be at night or in the evening. So you start out, you're a little chilly, you got a bunch of gear on, you start working at it, you start getting a little sweaty. Yeah. Right? And that's fine because you're going from trap to trap, from set to set, you're checking, you're getting off, you're walking around with your gear on mm-hmm. and you're staying warm. Yeah. And the mistake a lot of people make, and this is trying to delve into some of the gear that you're going to need. Mm-hmm is they get to the end of the trap line and they, unless, you know, if you're walking, you probably won't have this issue. <laughs> if you're running a snow machine, they'll get to their end of the trap line and they get the last one done. Like, all right, boom, I'm headed back. And they head back and they do that with sweat, sweated out gear. Oh yeah. So the number one thing to wear, you know, no matter like if you're a Carhartt guy and you like your black Carhartts, which a lot of people rave about, they're nowhere near as good as a lot of the good snow machining gear and stuff like that you can get now, the synthetic materials. Like the black Carhartts, especially in like 40 below or something, or 20 below even, they Mm. don't cut it compared to what like a really good winter. Right. You know, they're they're tough. Something that's designed to be windproof and all that other, yeah. Like, well, so so Carhartts are pretty good. The black ones especially are really good, like the windproof stuff. I have some of those that I use for work because they're tough. That's what I use for work too, yeah. But that's not what I run on a trap line or on a sled. What's your preferred? Uh, refrigerware okay. is, is really good. They're actually really affordable too. And they're affordable. Yeah. They're not insanely priced. Yeah. They're not nearly what some of these other coat and bib right. brands are. I mean, and I know a lot of people that run those and down to the, the temperature rating mm-hmm. that they're stated, a lot of them are rated to negative 40. Some of them oh, like, like, like the coveralls are actually rated for like negative 50, negative 60, depending on which yeah. model, model you get. And, uh, I know a lot of guys on the slope use those too, but right. I've heard guys that really push them to the limit and it. It holds true. Refrigerware is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, now, regardless of what you wear as an outer, if you use refrigerware, if you use, I don't know, if, you know, Activate, if you, you know, whatever you want, you know, Arcteryx, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Yeah. Whatever you use for your outer layer, it's whatever another big brand too. your preferred yeah. brand is, um, the biggest, most important thing you need to have is a good wicking layer. Yeah. Because Very if, important in the winter. Even if you have a good wicking layer, if you sweat that out and it's still wet when you turn around. Mm-hmm you're going to freeze on the way back and you will be <laughs> shivering and very cold by the time you get back to your yeah. cabin or whatever you've got going for, you know, or your truck or whatever it is. Yep. Um, I've known guys that run such a long line that they actually swat, they'll actually strip down to their underwear and put on a dry base oh, layer yeah. that, you know, and sure it might be 20 below out, but they strip down and put that on so that they're warm. Well, and it, and it's pretty surprising how fast you warm back up. After oh yeah, you do, especially gear. if you put something warm on, right? right? It, yeah. Or dry on. Yep. Now you know, so that's that's the number one thing is 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 a good base layer. And it took a long time to say that, but you know that's yeah. how we are around here. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> right? And you know, other than that, so you know, trap traps, trapping materials. Obviously, I mentioned you know some good trapping bait from mm-hmm. Beta Nine Hundred Seven. <clears throat> Depending on what you're trying to trap, if you're going after lynx or fox, coyote. Uh, fox and coyote have, you know, a lot of similar kind of sets and, mm-hmm. uh, bait, um, wolf is a whole nother yeah. ball game. Lynx typically have a little bit of a different style of setup because they're, you know, the way they hunt and the way they look at stuff is different. Um, mm-hmm. you got Martin, which is what a lot of guys will run a trap line and just run Martin. Right. right? Yeah. That's a real um, popular one up here. Yeah. So, you know, finding traps and stuff, you know, there's a lot of places that carry traps. I think there might be, you know, and I, so I grew up doing it with my dad, so I wasn't like buying the traps and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there are places in Fairbanks that sell 
trapping materials and trapping supplies. Yeah, and several places. There are. And and so, you know, he can get some of his sportsmen's carry some traps and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't just want to go buy a brand new trap and set it. Yeah. And you try to use it that way. You know, it looks all shiny and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You want to season it. Yeah. And the way you season it, the you know, I think the best way to do it is you put it in a bucket of water with some spruce boughs and stuff like that and you boil it. Yeah. That's and a, then you let it lot. sit out and you let it rust. Mm-hmm. Because it, what that does is it gives it, it helps it take on the scent. It gets rid of all the oils that are on it. It helps take care of the scent. Yeah. Cause you don't want that nice shiny metal that's right. oiled and primed and right. all that. Yeah. Yep. Um, you want, you want to season your trap because those, those new, it, they work a lot better in the cold that way. If you mm-hmm. bring them out there, you might think they'd work better with the oils and stuff they come on, but they don't. They're mm-hmm. sticky. Yeah, um, they've got those kind of hard edges on them and stuff like that. Yeah, and you know the best kind of trap is looks brown. Yeah, right? um, and and it's not even necessarily some of it's some kind of oxidization and rust. It's not like that orange rust that I'm mm-hmm. sort of talking about. But um, that's important is to More season patina. your traps. So you don't want not on steel. <laughs> it's on copper. Um, I mean, I guess you could run copper coated traps or something. I don't know. I don't know anything about that, but. <clears throat> um, Snares are similar. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't necessarily have to season them quite the same way. You do want to boil them, but they're not going to like turn brown necessarily. But, right. Um, a lot of guys actually can make their own snares. They, you can buy the materials. You can order them, make your own snares. Oh, so they, they sell those little clips in bulk, don't they? Yeah. The little, little... So there's the snare lock. Yeah. And then you've got your clasps and stuff that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and a lot of times we, we can go into a minute more of this and maybe do some videos on it or something oh, when we start doing videos. And those may not be, you know, real good for anybody until next year when we start doing that. But, uh, you know, basically a snare is a piece of cable, mm-hmm. you know, real nice cable, kind of like what you would think of as like on a dog run or a zip line. Yeah. But, you know, small diameter, maybe eighth inch diameter. And it's real nice, slick piece of cable. And you have a piece of metal that's uh, bent and kind of a, uh, like a, almost like a G shape. Okay. Um, like a, like a capital G and it's got a couple holes in it and the way it it creates a loop, the way it slides on the cable. And what happens is when you, uh, stick something in that loop and you pull down tight Mm -hmm. that it acts as a lock, it's called the snare lock and it will not allow it to reopen up without external, um, like using your hand and your, you know, opposable thumbs that God gave us, right. (laughs) To, to turn it and pull it open. Yeah. So when an animal goes into it, it tightens up. Like, so you sure, you could create a noose out of some string or if you wanted to get real old fashioned, you could use a rawhide or something, right? Mm-hmm. But it isn't going to have that lock necessarily. And so, you know, a lot of older, what you had used to have to set up a snare is you had to have it sprung. Mm-hmm. So it would spring and it would pull tight and hold tight. Yeah. With the newer snares like that, it actually, you know, they'll walk into it. Mm-hmm. And by the time they realize it's there, it's tightened up around their neck and it's too late. Right. And, uh, you know, we'll talk in a lot about, about more yeah. about methodologies and stuff, how you'd use that. I was going to say really quickly, because um, we don't have, obviously don't have time to go over every right. every set right now, but give the people a rabbit hole to go of research to go down to. Okay. What are the sets they should look into for like getting into trapping? Mm-hmm. Like what, what's like the beginner level like sets that they should look into? Well, first look at, look up, uh, I believe it's called Alaska Trapper magazine. Mm-hmm. Look into that. There's more information in there that, you know, and it's, it's a really good magazine or yeah. however, how it's laid out. Uh, is that a once a month or? I believe it is. Quarterly? Uh, my dad used to get it. I don't get it right now, but mm-hmm. maybe I should subscribe to it. But um, they have a website, Alaska Trappers Association. 
and they have a membership and uh, I mean, they've got books and yeah. um, I think they may, you actually may be able to order a lot of trapping supplies from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those guys are a great resource. I know a couple of them. Yeah. They're a tremendous resource. Yeah. And um, anyhow, so basic set, Uh, you got your Martin set, Mm -hmm. typical Martin set. There's two ways of doing it. You set up a pole on a tree Mm -hmm. and you put a trap about halfway. You you set a pole, kind of one ends on the ground, one ends up in the air, tie it to a tree. You put your trap, you say halfway between the tree and the end of the pole sticking Mm -hmm. up in the air and you put your bait at the top of the pole. Yeah. Um, That's a good way to catch birds. Also, incidental catch, which, you know, is not a good thing, right? Right. The bird doesn't do you any good. Um, (laughs) Bait for the next one. (laughs) You're not supposed to use incidental catch for bait. Oh, really? That's illegal. Yeah. No kidding. Because I I know you can use like wings and stuff like that off of like grouse and whatnot. And and grouse, that was another thing I was going to say. But they differentiate incidental catch. Grouse season has been open for a while now. Yeah. Keep those wings and throw them in a fruit bag in a freezer. Mm -hmm. You can hang those from a wire over a link set. And that'll, that's like an attractant, like a cat attractant, right? Yeah, yep. You know, or you can take the feathers and like throw them on the ground to kind of create a simulated kill with some stink. Right. You know, from Batum 907, right? <laughs> and uh, anyhow, so um, with the Martin, that's my ideal way to do it. A lot of guys will do a uh, bear, which is a full body trap, mm-hmm. and they'll set it on, they'll set it on that pole, or they'll actually attach it to the side of a tree and okay. put some yeah. kind of bucket or something above it with bait up inside there. And you don't catch birds that way because birds hunt by sight. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't like that as much because the kind of trap, you actually have to remove the trap from the field and have new traps with you. Mm, gotcha. Because it's a body trap, so it's they're frozen in it. Right. right. So I'm not a, as big of a fan of that. Okay. You know, it's it's all in the way you want to do it. So you're more of a foothold right. guy. But yeah. those are the those are the basic the two basic ways of doing that. Okay. Um your snares, yep. usually you set those up on existing trails. A lot of times you'll set them up on your, when you have a Martin set, you'll set mm-hmm. a few snares around it. Either you see beat snow, beat trails through the snow from predators, mm-hmm. or you just hang one under, hang one off the tree underneath that pole. Yeah. Um, because that's just kind of the place a predator is going to walk when they're circling. Right. That, you know, Martin or bird that's in that trap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's a good place to put those. Um, and when you're running down your trail, and you see a place where predators have crossed, or rabbits, if you've got a good rabbit trail, you set the snare up high enough, the rabbits don't bother it. Yep. When that coyote comes running along, or that fox comes Chasing running along. Chasing rabbits. Exactly. Yeah. Boom. Or, or lynx. Yeah. Um, probably caught more, I've personally probably snared more critters that way. Really? Than yeah. anything else. Um, and, and that's basically, that's kind of how you use a snare. Okay. You can do some snare sets, but that's more of a wolf thing and I don't, mm-hmm. i'm not going to really get into wolves right now like, yes. wolves are a whole different yeah. whole <laughs> that's different a whole game, episode right yeah. um and with uh <clears throat> lynx it will just sets for lynx or fox or coyote your kind of main predators there your bigger predators um you can you know you use a little you typically use a leg hold mm-hmm. you can use full body once again the full body conibear style though those are you know once again they you have to have one with you to swap it out right and especially you get up to like uh what are those, like the 220s, the big ones? Yeah. And those are big traps. They are. They're big. They're heavy. Um, they Expensive have, too. They are. Yeah. Although they have their advantages with something like a, like if you're trying to catch a wolverine, mm-hmm. they're great for that because that's a tough critter and yeah. it's a tough trap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we caught a wolverine in a wolf snare. Oh, really? And he had about but six feet of number nine wire and real big heavy duty cable we use for wolves. 
turned into about six inches. No like kidding. From twisting and spinning. If yeah. you've been there very much longer, he probably like, had the ground all torn up too, huh? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Well, and and he um, <laughs> they have such a strong neck, whereas most like a wolf that would have killed. Oh, so he was able to just. But because his neck is so strong, <laughs> it it didn't choke him. Oh, right. Man. He was just if we if he had been there much longer, he would have got away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we put a twenty two in him and. I was, there's a good beautiful tip. fur. Yeah, bring carry home, a twenty-two bring, with carry you. Carry a twenty-two with you. We were just talking about that twenty that that you're talking about getting wanting that Mark Four. Oh yeah, I yep. have a Mark Three mm-hmm. from Ruger Target Model twenty-two. Oh, that's amazing. Yep, and, and at when you're trapping, a pistol's oh, yeah. fine. Right. Like, oh, yeah, pistol's twenty-two pistol. Perfect. It's perfect. It's lightweight. Right. It's out of the way. It's not falling off your shoulder. Right. You know. Um. So, had one more question for you. Okay. Um. So one of the biggest holdups for people getting into trapping is finding a good spot. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's been one of my bigger holdups because I found a lot of good spots, but there's typically already tags on trees or something. Trapper you know, signs and whatnot. There's, yeah. there's already a trapper in there, which, you know, it's a, at least where we live, you know, it's a mm-hmm. pretty common activity. So that's not entirely surprising. Um, but for somebody that's looking out, trying to find a good trapping spot, what's like the landmark features they're looking for as far as where they would want to set up low land high land like i mean predators tend to roam at all mm-hmm. especially in the winter time once things freeze over it's really easy for them to travel wherever they want yeah martin are supposed to be more timber dwellers mm-hmm. bigger bigger uh spruce trees those kinds of areas That's where i've normally seen them um although i know we've tended to catch a lot of them you know in the areas bordering that okay and i don't know if they why that is specifically um some areas have a lot more martin some mm-hmm. areas don't martin tend to or martin are cyclical too but not in the same way like muskrats are where yep. muskrats will grow up so much in a lake and there'll be such a huge population they die off be, the food dies off martin are cyclical in a way they'll move mm-hmm. from they'll, they'll be in one like timber on hills and mountains and the whole like population will kind of move yeah and to another area oh, okay. for a while and then the, you know and they just kind of it, it's kind of weird, and that's some of the stuff I've read about them. So as a as a group, they almost move out. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, and so there'll still be some remaining, but not yeah. the kind of population. So they're not like dying off necessarily. They're just migrating. They're just moving, deal. right? Yeah. And obviously, with food and and all that, they're gonna there's gonna be higher and lower populations because of that too. Right. Um. The on the lynx and fox and coyote sets real quick. Mm-hmm. Um. Typically, you want to use a leg hold. Okay. You're gonna throw, like I said, you're gonna throw some kind of attractant or smell. Or bait, you know, some kind of rotten piece of meat, mm-hmm. you know, from your freezer or whatever. Yep. Or save some of those, save some of those scraps that you're not going to use from your moose that yeah. aren't, that, that are not edible meat. Yep. Right. Yep. You could use bones or, or, or anything like that. And anything not intended for human consumption. Right. Yeah. And actually something that, a real good trick is to take uh, some moose hide, chop it up. Oh, yeah. Put it in plastic bags and let it slip. And mm-hmm. let it get real rotten. Yeah. And then hang that. Yep. And not to dive into wolf too much, because like we said, that's a mm-hmm. whole other thing. But um, when I had mentioned in the, one of our previous moose episodes where like when I bring an animal out of the field, I try to bring the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is because I know guys that will trap wolves and they'll use like caribou hooves and moose hooves and stuff right. like that for their their sets. Right. Um, so, I mean, you can use all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's just a testament to, <laughs> you can use all kinds of right. stuff for those. Yeah. Typically your, your sets for, for for your main predators, um, lynx usually use a little bit more of a, uh, a an eye attractant, mm-hmm. whereas for other critters you use more of a uh, you know scent, like because they're 
you know, you just think about the, you know, like a cat and the way a cat hunts yep. versus the way like a, a canine would hunt. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's so many different sets for those. You've got your cubbies, right? Link, a lynx cubby. Mm-hmm. Like it's a hole that they go into. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've seen people use like the old newspaper, <laughs> the old oh, newspaper, right. uh, delivery boxes. Right. Things like you see yeah. those a lot. Yeah. I've seen those a lot actually from Martin <laughs> hanging on trees yeah, and stuff like yo. that. Yeah. Um, you know, anyhow, there's a, there's a lot of things with trapping. We can get into more of the specifics yeah. later. And we'll definitely do whole episodes on right. things and, and dive into more more extreme details. But hopefully, hopefully you've been able to right. give people some research rabbit holes to go down. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I um, would go to Alaska Trappers Association, alaskatrappers.org. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, subscribe to the magazine or get a hold of some of those magazines, maybe even some of the older ones. Yeah. Get on there, start reading, start looking it up, start watching videos um, because... Like I said, it's rabbit hole. You got to go down. There's all kinds of methods and tactics for yeah. scent control. I think they even have some DVDs and stuff like that. I think don't they, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, great, great resource. But, so, well, let's take a quick break, real quick, and then we'll dive into this next one. All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, Go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. So I like in the layout here, you separated trapping from rat trapping. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm assuming by rat trapping, you mean muskrats. I do. All right. So, so go into why you separated those two. So the reason I separated that is because, I mean, you could even, you could even throw a squirrel trapping on there, although that's a little different for up here, but, I've um, never heard of that. One. <laughs> well, it's more for the very same reason you shoot them is, you know, yeah, keep, them, keep them out of the area because they'll chew up. Tearing up your cabins stuff and stuff. Up, right? yeah. yeah. So, so a lot of times in like a trapping cabin type setting, mm. you'll have a log leaning up against a tree, throw a trap on top of it, like a small leg hold. Okay. And uh, the squirrels will just use that to run up. Yeah. And um, I mean, we'd, we'd do that and come back with like five or six of those traps filled. Nice. Some of them with the squirrel gone because the predator ate it. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyhow, uh, but rats. Mm-hmm specifically muskrats, water rats. Um, they typically live in lakes and sloughs uh, up here. I haven't really seen any on rivers, although that's probably not unheard of. I've seen a few, but not common at all. Although like, I don't think those are really trappable necessarily, at least yeah. not the tactics I'm familiar with, Okay, at least up here because our winters are so cold. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never trapped muskrat anywhere without ice, okay. without a lot of ice. Yeah, oh, just, That's a disclaimer. If you live somewhere you live in south southeast alaska um most of the lower 48 mm-hmm. the way you're going to trap muskrats there and the way you're trapped muskrats up here are completely different yeah um what we do is we'll go out usually march is when we'll start this okay so just pre-breakup basically pre-breakup yeah, yeah. uh march we'll head out to the lakes right and my dad's got a trapping cabin so mm-hmm. we head out there's a great big lake by his trapping cabin nice there's lakes and sloughs and 
the sloughs all connect to other lakes and ponds and stuff like that. And usually there's a few rat huts at each one. Mm-hmm. And when I say rat hut, we'll call them a push-up because okay. um, I'm sure you've probably seen it, but in the middle of a lake, you'll see like, uh, like a, a grass, like a mound of grass mm-hmm. in the middle of the lake. Have you ever seen that? Yep, okay. I have. Now, a lot of times they're snowed over. If it's a real windy spot, you don't see it as much. But the reason that we primarily hunt them or trap them in towards the spring, towards breakup, is because the sun's starting to heat up a little bit more up here. Yeah. And it'll actually start to bring those out of the snow. You'll start to see them show up. They're getting bigger because they've been using them all winter. And then the sun will, because they're dark, they'll actually, the snow will burn out around them. So they're easier to find. Gotcha. And so what you'll do is you'll take a bunch of uh, like ot traps. I mean, like zero. Mm -hmm. You don't want anything bigger. Or you can take like like those conibears bears we were talking about of uh, the body traps. Yep. And they have some round ones. Those work quite well too. Okay. Um, and but usually we just use like leg holes that are real light. Mm-hmm. Don't snap hard because rats have real weak leg bones. Mm-hmm. And you'll take those. You'll take a bunch of uh, sticks or stakes. Um, we usually just take like one inch to inch and a half in diameter uh, willows and mm-hmm. chop them up in like two and three foot lengths. We'll tie a piece of flag tape at the top and tie the uh, wire, the trap, usually with a little extra length of wire, somewhere a few, you know, six inches to a foot up from the bottom of that stake. Mm-hmm. So you, and you get a bunch of those, right? Yeah. Um, you know, depending on how many traps you're going to set, anywhere from, you know, five, if you're going to do a few, mm-hmm. to, and you want some extras, uh, to uh, 30 or 40, depending on how serious you're going to be about it. Okay. And, you know, you may live somewhere in town, and keep in mind, you need a trapping license and all that, right? Oh, yeah. But you may live somewhere close to town or in town. You may live on a gravel pit or a pond or something. And you may have seen these push-ups that I've talked about. They look mm-hmm. like a bunch of grass and weeds. Yep. And what they are is the rats will burrow a hole in the ice that they keep open throughout the winter. And, they cu- and they'll come up and they push a bunch of grass and weeds up. And what they do is they create a little hut. And they'll come up in there. And there's usually just enough room for them to come up out of the water. There's a little ledge. Mm-hmm. And they'll sit there and they'll eat a bunch of those greens and whatever they don't eat, they push out the side of it. So they'll have like these weird, like round, almost big turd looking. (laughs) They're not brown, but they just, their shape and the way they stick out, Uh they'll have like these weird things, like just sticking out the sides because they'll push it just right out the hut. Yep. And I mean, you'll find them with fox tracks over to them or a fox tore it open and ate a rat out of it Mm -hmm. or sat there and waited till he heard a rat inside and listen. Yeah. Right. And I have chopped into them and uh, seen a rat. I chopped into one one time. The first time I chopped into it, and there's a rat tail there. Like, he was getting ready to go down in the hole, but he hadn't swam away yet. And I grabbed the tail and yanked him out. <laughs> yanked him out of the hole and then smacked him on the head. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but the, uh, so if you get Alaska Trappers Magazine, mm-hmm. and you may find a rat, rat trapping, muskrat trapping section in there. Yep. And it may show a push-up, and it may show, like, the ideal setup, how this ledge is just under the water and it's the perfect place to set the trap and all this kind of stuff. That is the exception of a rat, of a hole. Okay. Most of them are not like that. Okay. Um, most of them have barely enough room for that rat inside there. And they're fat little furry mm-hmm. dudes. What is like the average size of one of those things? Um, they're typically, you know, I don't know, 10 inches, 10 to 12 inches long, nose to, okay. nose to butt. Mm-hmm. And then they've got, you know, an 8, 12, 8, 10 11, 12 inch tail, yeah. long, long, narrow tail. That's real tough. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they've got webbed feet, um, yep. webbed hind legs and short little 
kind of like a little beaver. They've got the same yeah. kind of teeth on the front. Yep. And I, I know I've seen them in the summertime a lot. You see them swimming. But, and they, and look, they look like they're they're fat little critters. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're fat little round and the fur is real soft and nice. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, um, they, when you see them swimming, they look like a small beaver. Okay. They've got the same teeth, the same kind of head looking out, but they've got a different kind of tail. Mm-hmm. They're smaller. You know, beavers create huts too, but beaver creates a big huts out of logs. Yeah. Rat creates a small hut. And the rat hut is seasonal, right? A beaver mm-hmm. hut, they use year round. Yeah. Um, anyhow, and I guess beaver trapping is a whole other thing too. Oh, it is. Yeah. But that's, that's more <laughs> of a throughout the winter as well. It can be in the spring, but mm-hmm. um, so, you know, the, the trap, the, the sticks, and a lot of times you can even get some of those traps that you use for your squirrels and stuff, right? Yeah. And maybe some mink setups or whatever you're trying to do. And you'll take those once that rat season comes. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times once you start rat trapping, a lot of your other season is closed too. Yeah. But uh, you chop a hole into the hut. Usually try to do it so it's a chunk that you can take out and you can put right back where you got it. Um, You chop a hole in and you try to find, you reach down in there. Don't get get bit. (laughs) Reach down in there (laughs) and try to find that flat spot um, where you can set your trap. And I am going into a lot of detail on this, but um, where you can set your trap you stick the trap in there. You try to nest it good so it has a solid base and, and it's a good spot where they'll stick their feet in it when they climb out. And what you want to catch is a hind leg because mm-hmm. the hind legs are a lot tougher than the front arms. Okay, yeah. Um, because, the, you know, they'll break off really easy. Yeah. I mean, I've caught rats that had three three legs because... Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it, you know, this is a it, hunting podcast. This is the kind of stuff that happens. It, it's it's a legitimate practice. Right. It, you know, things happen when you're out there. You know, you and know. there's other times we've caught them by both hind legs and the tail. Like, oh, no that kidding. one ain't going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's a whole other stuff that we can get, I can get into in methodology and all that. But preparing for that would just be buying the trap. Mm-hmm. if you wait till the season comes to buy the traps. They ain't going to be there. They're not going to be there. And once again, it's best to, to season them. Yeah. It's not as crucial but it's best to have season traps. They will operate better. Yeah. Now, do you use gloves after you season them whenever you touch them? I, I know some people, traps. not rat traps. Not they're, rat not, traps. they're not, they're not, they don't care. Okay. Yeah. No, nope. cool. they don't care. Like, yeah. I, like I said, I've chopped a hole open. They're still sitting there. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, right. what we can talk about some stories and stuff with that another time, but right. You know, like I said, we'll get into a lot more of the details of it, mm-hmm. but a lot more of the preparedness for it is just right. kind of having an idea of what you're going to get into, what kind of things to look at. And again, all of this is during wintertime, so same thing. If uh-huh. you're going to be around water, especially, make sure you've got good clothes on. You maybe even have a spare pair of clothes, like right. you said, being able to put something dry on Yeah, it is important you know, yeah. if you're going to be risking that situation. That's, that's a really big deal, especially um, in, around beaver huts, mm-hmm. because beaver huts tend to have a, not always, but they a lot of times, wherever they enter the hut, which you don't usually know where it's at because it's underwater. Right. Um, they'll have a thin spot in the ice mm-hmm. and um, you can step into that and, you know, disappear. Right. Yep. If you step on the wrong spot. Yeah. And my dad found a spot where like a moose had fallen through one one time. Ooh, man. <laughs> then it, that would have been a scene. Yeah. But yeah, it, like it fell in, it was able to climb out, but like mm-hmm. he saw the sign, like the moose tracks and everything. And, yeah. Um, and, and the same thing goes, if you've got a lake that flows or a pond that flows, there's a flow in and flow out mm-hmm. that flow in and flow out are going to be the thinner spots of the ice. Right. Cause there's probably still moving water under yeah. there. Yeah. So all good things to pay attention to. Now, one method that we have in addition to trapping where you mm-hmm. can take predators primarily right. is actually hunting them. Yep. Not necessarily trapping them. That's our next one is predator hunting. Um, 
for anybody wondering what that looks like in Alaska, um, think of any video you've seen running around where people are murking coyotes in the Midwest, you know, out there. But imagine colder, a lot different species mixed in there and mm-hmm. a lot less active. I'll say that. They're a um, lot more um they're a lot more cautious. They're a here. lot more cautious. They're a lot smarter. And they just seem to care a lot more that you're there. Um, yeah. It, you know, coyotes, you know, back in the middle of the country, the desert areas, right. things like where, the, where a lot of those videos are filmed of guys just blasting light out into fields and, and shooting these coyotes, you know, getting multiple sets mm-hmm. a night. Um, those are animals that are pretty used to human activity. Right. Um, they're, they're usually around farms and things like that, agricultural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and these animals up here can be very, very hard to see, very right. hard to, you know, uh, cats, cats are very sneaky links when they come in. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll hang in the bushes and, yeah. and just hang they'll there. circle around you. Yep. Circle around you. Um, sometimes, you, you know, and it's all variable, you know, if you're good at what you do and you hide your scent and you hide your, your movement and you're not making noise. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, you can get coyotes and, and foxes to run in on a set, um, not unheard of at all up here right. by any stretch of the imagination, but you do have to be a lot more careful than you would. And it usually takes a lot else. more sets. Yeah. Yeah. The success rate up here is a lot lower than just about anywhere Guys else. will take, spend days and days and days and not get anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A really, a, a good place to look um, for beginner information on that is actually, if you go back in our show, mm-hmm. um, I believe it was episode 21. Uh, we had Chris Perez on the show yep. and he is a pretty obsessive predator hunter. He gets out there a lot. Uh, we're actually probably going to bring him on the show again here soon uh, to go over a little bit more of a beginner's kit uh, set up and, and share a little bit more of his knowledge. Mm-hmm. Guy's just an absolute wealth of information. Um, and But it, it's a very different ball game, but it can still be very rewarding yep. and very fun. Um, right. You know, when when you're out there, things to keep in mind if you're if you're planning on getting out there to do some predator hunting is dress really really warm for the environment you're going to be in if it's you know a a cold cold winter day and you're getting out there and uh trying to make even if you're making multiple Mm -hmm. sets each one of those sets is going to run you you know anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour depending on what you're hunting yeah, You know, you, you don't want to sit there all day if nothing's showing up, mm-hmm. but you also don't want to be quitting at 15 minute marker if no, no foxes run in. Um, you want to give them time to come in. Depends on the area. But yeah. d- depending on the area. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, you want to give them a little bit of time to come in. Most people will tell you at about the hour marker, mm-hmm. go maybe over the next hill or something like that. Call that area. Maybe move to a whole different area if you right. need to. Um, but you're going to be sitting. And you need to be sitting still and you need to be not, you know, you can't be rubbing your hands together and Reading making a ton of, you know, yeah, doing all this stuff. They see all of that movement. So you need to make sure you're going to be warm mm-hmm. without having to, the ability to build any actual body heat. Right. Um, and a lot of people don't realize how much that takes when it's negative 40 or negative or 30. Negative 20. Even negative 20, even zero, honestly. Yeah. I mean, if you're just sitting there in a snow berm. <laughs> like, so two things I've learned recently mm-hmm. about that. One is a caloric intake. 
Yes. Eat a candy bar before you hit, jump out. Yeah. E- even if you just eat, take a couple bites each time. Because that those fresh sugar yeah. will keep you warm. It will. I've noticed that working in the wintertime. If I just have some kind of high caloric, in, high caloric food, mm-hmm. whether it's a candy bar or whatever it is, or some kind of better sugar that my wife would probably rather I eat. This is better for me, right? (laughs) Right. Um, Something that my body can use quickly and rapidly to create heat, and it makes a huge difference. Yes. Even eating it every hour or so. Absolutely. Because you can eat, you know, if you eat breakfast and you get out there and start working, it only can be a couple hours. Next thing you know, you're shivering. Mm -hmm. And it's warmer than it was when you started. But the reason is because your body doesn't have that sugar. It burns it so much faster in the cold. Yep. The second thing, that I learned, and I used this last winter. Yep. The Stealthy Hunter glassing pad was a phenomenal dif- difference maker sitting in the snow. Yeah. Because the number, the biggest thing that gets cold is your rear end <laughs> because you're compressing your clothes. You're compressing all your snow, you know. Right. Insulation comes from the right density, right, in a wall. Yeah. You could take fiberglass insulation and smash it into that wall really tight. And it would lose its insulation value right. because it's smashed. You need you're you're warming that air that's locked in that insulation essentially, and you yes. you have to keep that layer, otherwise right. there's no value to right. it. So you when, create cold transfer. Mm-hmm. So when you sit down, you're just smashing your insulation in, in your snow pants or whatever mm-hmm. you're wearing, and so that and then you're sitting on the snow, so it just transfers that cold right up into your body from there. Well, so, and the other thing is wet. Well, yeah, that's as a huge it's transferring thing too. the heat down there and the cold back up right. to you. You know, I, I've had even stuff like a lot of Carhartt say, you know, mm-hmm. water resistant. That's not enough. <laughs> when right. you sit there a while, you know, your rear end's going to get wet, and once you're wet, like you said, that's just recipe for even more cold. Yeah, I used that stealthy hunter pad predator colon last year, and I didn't do a ton of it. I didn't mm-hmm. get anything, but it made all the difference in the world. Being able to sit longer, more yep. comfortably, yeah, not having a cold rear end or yep. a wet rear end, like you said, yeah. Because, you know, it's like a, you know, three quarters an inch piece of foam mm-hmm. in, in a, uh, what's that, Cordura type, canvas type um, mm-hmm. pad. And it's just big enough for your rear end. And it's awesome. Like, I, I mean, I used that thing there. I used it sitting on stumps, moose hunting. Yep. We'll say sitting on stumps, moose hunting. It didn't quite cut it. Stumps. Oh, stumps. really? <laughs> well, after a few, so, after an hour or so. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you're sitting on. When it's a stump, like. Right. I even had my stealthy hunter pad and an inflatable seat like on oh, top no of kidding. it. And I was like switching them, trying mm-hmm. to figure out which was better, but I had to keep <laughs> standing up and like real slow standing up and glass and before I'd sit down because yep. it just was it was just it was just too much. But in the yep. snow in the winter, it made all the difference in the world. Yep. Yeah, and you know, just staying warm out there, making sure you're being careful again on water, you know, that's a huge thing. You're gonna be possibly calling lower creek areas. Mm-hmm. Um ponds, things like that, where you'll get a little bit of visibility. You don't need a ton of visibility because you can, in tighter areas, get them to expose themselves, um, which kind of aids in using smaller caliber rifles to be able to preserve a lot of that fur. Um, If you've never hunted predators before, one thing to consider is using the appropriate rifle Mm -hmm. for the job because you don't want to just destroy every animal you shoot. Um, Using too big of a caliber rifle you can punch holes in the other side of a fox or a lynx or anything like that that there's no coming back from. Right. You know, you hit a shoulder bone if with the wrong shot placement with a powerful enough rifle. And it by powerful enough, I don't mean like a high-powered magnum. I mean like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it doesn't take a whole lot with an animal the size of a fox or a, or a lynx to blast a hole through the other side of it. Um, so doing your research into that, um, I can tell you one thing is speed. 
mm-hmm. speed is one thing that uh, will damage fur really, really quickly. Um, you see a lot of these super fast, super uh, high speed predator cartridges that are out there. And sometimes they'll work phenomenally. And a lot of the times you want, or you're going to see just fist size holes out the other side of a fox mm-hmm. or something that's really hard to, to sew up. And if you're right. really trying to preserve that fur quality, you want to make sure one, you're hitting it in the boiler room where you're less likely to hit any bone. Um, mm-hmm. Cause hitting a shoulder, you shatter that bone and it flies out the other side. Right. That's going to rip those hides. The hides are very soft on these things. Um, and the other thing is making sure you use um, either a solid bullet. Mm-hmm. This is one of the only times we'll recommend, you know, like FMJ type bullets right. is with the appropriate caliber and FMJ style bullet on a predator is still a viable option to use. And yeah. it won't tear the fur up too bad in most cases. <laughs> Again, shot placement is key. But a frangible bullet with a lower velocity round will work really mm-hmm. great as well. It'll get into those vitals. It'll completely grenade. Right. Um, and as long as you're not pushing, you know, crazy, crazy amounts of speed, you can get a little faster than you might think you can. Mm-hmm. But um, you're not typically even going to have an yeah. exit hole. And so those are all things that you should research before going out in the field. Um, because it's really nice to bring home a nice, good looking fox or lynx or something like mm-hmm. that. It's a whole nother thing if you cut it in half. <laughs> it gets <laughs> Right. It's kind of hard to take pictures. It gets kind of hard to, you know, uh, salvage any kind of mm-hmm. usable material off that animal. Um, but, uh, and the other thing is learning to call and getting the appropriate callers. Um, if you're going to be going out trying to predator hunt. Uh, try to get some experience in what uh, calls work mm-hmm. in the area you're in, whether it's, and, and you might hear, back and forth stories on whether you're supposed to use calls of local animals in distress. Cause mm-hmm. for anybody that doesn't know what a predator caller is, you're using either a mouth call or an electronic call to uh, mimic the sound of a, a prey animal in distress, whether it's right. a rabbit, squirrel, bird, whatever it might be. Uh, sometimes even bigger than that calf of bigger ungulates and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just trying to get a predator to come in for an easy meal or what it thinks is an easy right. meal. Um, if you're going to use a hand call, get it before, like long before a week prior to your hunt or you plan on starting research, which, which brands are good, which brands most people are using and get one and practice with it, get good at it. Because with these animals being as smart as they are, if you don't sound legit, they're going to know it. And they might be standing right on the other side of a bush and just curious they'll look at you but they're not going to come in because it doesn't sound like a legitimate uh, animal in distress if you're going to get an e-caller which is a perfectly viable option i believe in all of alaska i don't think there's anywhere it's illegal as far as i know but again do do research into that um you know look at the sequences what what are people having success with as far as the sequence of calling um and you know you can call some areas you'll want to call let out a 30 second burst and give it a rest for 10 minutes. See what comes in. Yeah. Let out another 30 second burst. Some people will just absolutely hammer a set and they'll just basically put that thing on, on go and mm-hmm. let it, let it wail away and see what comes in. You know, that can vary depending on what you're chasing, depending right. on, on what kind of call it is. Um, one of the really cool features, if you get up into some of the higher end ones is you can do dual, 
dual sound. Mm-hmm. So I've known guys that'll do like a either they'll do like a uh, an animal in distress, mm-hmm. and then let's say like a coyote fight or something right. like that to kind of initiate a competitive uh, competitive edge. Or they'll uh, they'll play like a dying rabbit with ravens in the background right. or so a coyote howl. or a coyote how yeah. um you can do you know and that's the other thing is it's not always just when you get these e-callers it's not always just dying animals that it, it'll mimic it'll mimic um you know different yips and different mm-hmm. howls that can make you know animals think get defensive over territory right. or things like that come in looking for a fight there, there, there's so much science behind it and that's one ep- thing we're going to do a full episode on probably at some point is just the science behind all of that stuff but in the spirit of how, you know, just getting prepared to go out, mm-hmm. make sure you're researching all that stuff. Yeah. Um, chances in Alaska are a lot lower than a lot of other places. Um, but that's kind of what makes it so much more rewarding. Um, yeah. And when you're, when you figure it out, when you dial it in, it, it's going to be a good time. And right. it's a really great way to get out there in the winter. Kind of what this whole thing's about. I will say with all those calling things is so much of it's going to be what you find works for you yeah in the areas that you're in you know and it could be different from one range to another you know you what right. works on one set might not work or on the next one set. week to the next right yeah and that's part of the science is time of year are they pairing up are they breeding temperature. are they te- you know what temperature is it what mm-hmm. food are they after at that point you know things like that like what's maybe something they're more familiar with in that area um, right and you know sometimes you can let out the most random animal sound ever and they'll still come check it out yeah. because they're curious. Well, you know, um, I think most of us up here carry any of us who are interested in shooting predators like during hunting season, moose season, mm-hmm. any of us who are interested in like bears and wolves yep. or coyotes or whatever that we happen to see just because, yeah. you know, we're a predator too and we want to save some of those ungulates for ourselves. Exactly. Um, and it, I carry, I think I have like a jackrabbit squealer. I've got a Phelps mm-hmm. jackrabbit squealer that just stays in my if I'm, if I've got my chest rig, if I got my bino harness, it's just there. Yep. And it's tied in, so if it does you know if it falls out, it's still hung on there. But that way, I may see a bear or a wolf or mm-hmm. whatever, and just hey, I'm gonna let loose, see if the thing yeah. will run in where I can shoot it. And bears will respond to those. Yeah, yeah. they will. <laughs> and uh, I um, you know, and a lot of guys, that's all they do. They just have that, and mm-hmm. they'll go call, call with that. Yeah. And you know, they just get some consistency in. Yep. You make it sound halfway real. Yeah. And, and that's where a lot of that, you know, where you play it for a little while and shut it off and wait. Because mm-hmm. when it's from a further distance, they're not going to necessarily differentiate between time sequences and stuff as much. Right. You play yeah. it for a few minutes, you squeal on it a few times, and it may sound a lot more to, you know, realistic to them. Yep. You know, I, I haven't taken anything predator calling myself. Okay. I've been on hunts where guys have. Yeah. Um, usually when I go, it's with somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I want to get into it a lot more this year. I'm planning on building a gun for it specifically nice but yeah and 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 all of that stuff i mean like like you said it, it can be so subjective you mm-hmm. know and don't feel like you're stuck to one thing either right you know play with it play around like try different t- kinds of sets try different kinds of areas um i know some guys they'll they'll have two different kinds of calls going at the same time you know right uh, have their e-caller wailing away and then also use a mouth call yeah um you know and just create sequences create all this stuff and it, it's it's a lot of fun and it's a great way to keep busy in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to go out and just collect some fur, you know, and, and really help control what's going on out there right. in the woods, you what? know. Now, one thing I'll point out, um, even though it's the wintertime and there are, you know, all the bears are asleep for right. the most part, 
um, still keep a sidearm on you. It's a good idea. Um, because there's a lot of, eh, I wouldn't say a lot, but I've definitely heard several stories of people calling in wolf packs. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not intentionally, right. and maybe not in a way that exposes them for good shots even, yeah. but you know, they'll come in and check it out same way. And then you might end up with it's like my dream is a wolf. Pack. I know, <laughs> but if all you got is a little 22 mag and not a whole lot of bullets, so that, that's but, true. You know, Dalton carries a, uses a 243 with yep. a slowed down round. Cause 243 is pretty hot. Mm-hmm. He carries a slowed down, I think kind of heavier. Yeah. I think he's using the FMJs in that too, isn't he? I think he? so. Yeah. yeah. Cut, yep. You know, custom, some hand loads and, and he uses that because it's, it's great because it's, it's mm-hmm. big enough for wolf. Right. Yeah. But it's slowed down, so it's not going to destroy a fox. Yeah. Right? Exactly. But the other reason you want to carry a sidearm is because there's still moose out in those woods. It's true. And moose, for those that don't know, can be very uh, territorial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and very uh, they can be very aggressive. A lot of people you, you'll talk to in Alaska say they're actually more afraid of moose than they are grizzly bears when it comes to uh, charges and things like that. Because a moose, if it just happens to be walking up the trail you're calling on or there's a cow bedded down when you step off the road to walk wherever you're going to walk um especially if she's got a calf they can be dangerous and you want to make sure you're protected i mean obviously nobody wants to dlp anything Mm -hmm. that they don't have to but you always want to make sure that you're uh you're able to stay alive and stay right stay good out there so let's dive into or let's uh take one more quick break and we'll dive into the rest of this all right folks We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. All right, so that covers a lot of the fur creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one important thing I don't think we touched on before is make sure if you're going to go into any of these, whether it's trapping, predator hunting, anything like that, um, look at your regs. Yeah. Under, there is a separate regs book for trapping and fur there bears is. and all that. Uh, make sure you're getting that and reading through it. Um, mm-hmm. The seasons are just as variable with fur bears right. and for trapping and things like that as they are for big game. You know, different seasons for different zones for different units. Right. Um, make sure that you understand where you're at, what you're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, for like, perfect example for some units during certain seasons, you're able to use like spotlights and right. night hunt for predators. Right. Other units, you do that, big trouble. Right. Um, so make sure you know exactly what you're allowed to do, when you're allowed to do it, and keep yourself out of trouble that way. Um, ignorance is never an excuse for right. for not following a regulation. So. But if you don't want to go chase furry critters, um, you can chase... Hairy critters. Scaly critters. Scaly critters. Yeah. Um, below the ice. Oh, yeah, those ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My mind was on 
something else there. <laughs> on the next thing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Alaska is a really great place for ice fishing. And yeah. ice fishing is a great way to get out of the house in the wintertime, get out and just spend some time. You can catch some big fish up here if you get in the mm-hmm. right spots. Um, and it's not a crazy thing to go do. The only thing that's crazy about it is the temperatures you're going to be battling. It's, it's not like Midwest ice fishing. Right. Yeah. No, it's way different. <laughs> the ice is, yeah. Uh, later in the year, in the wintertime, I pity you if, if you're going to go out there with an ice auger <laughs> or, or for a, with hand a, hand, auger. a hand auger. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's not like, you know, even six inches right. of ice. I mean, in some of these lakes, you're talking feet of yeah, ice. Yeah, three, four feet. Easy yeah. Um, two, three feet is very common or yeah. more. I would say two has been pretty common. Um, three is, is Depends really... Depends winter. Yeah. If, if we, with these warmer winters we've been having, it hasn't been as crazy, but right. well, um, a powered auger is really nice. And, it, and another thing that affects that is snowfall because if you get a lot of snowfall, it absolutely. creates a lot of weight on the ice, which causes yeah. the ice to crack, you get overflow, then that overflow freezes. Yeah. Now you've got more and ice. Cycles and yep. cycles. and yep. So... Um, but one of the most common things you're going to be able to ice fish for up here, um, realistically, at least in the interior, is uh, pike, mm-hmm. trout. Um, if you're in like a, a stocked lake, you can catch salmon. Um, and then grayling are right. big ones. Um, those are like the big like lake ice fishing ones you're going to be able to chase. Um, I say chase, but really just, <laughs> just go after. <laughs> you're just going to sit, sit. sit there. You're yeah. not really chasing anything. Um, but aside from that, the, the, the practice of ice fishing up here, aside from the thickness of the ice and the temperatures outside mm-hmm. that you're going to deal with is largely the same. You're jigging, you're using the same kinds of jigs. Right. Um, you're, uh, you know, you can use some, you know, they've got those stink baits that you can use and put mm-hmm. on the end of that stuff. And that really works well. Worms, um, shrimp, worms, shrimp, all that stuff. Um, if you've ice fished anywhere else, um, you can ice fish up here. It's just going to be a little bit more extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of similar to what we were saying with the predator hunting, you ain't going to be moving around a whole lot. Right. Now, the good thing is with ice fishing, you know, you can stand up, shake it out, walk around if you want to, especially if you've got like a flip up flag set up where, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of lets you know if something hits, um, then you can be up and moving around, um, right. and kind of building some body heat. It's not ads. You, you don't have to be sitting there perfectly still, but you're not going to be building as much body heat as you would if you were say snowshoeing a trapping right. trap line. Um, so keep that in mind, make sure you're dressing warm, uh, coveralls are really awesome for ice fishing, um, or just wear bibs underneath your parka. Um, one thing when you're sitting down ice fishing is, uh, the wind can hit you if you're not sheltered in anything Mm -hmm. and, uh, go up that seam line between your, your waist where your, your snow pants stop and your coat starts and that can really, really, um, create a lot of cold, even underneath your coat right. and just blow that heat right out from under your coat. So I really like wearing coveralls because it completely cuts off that seam. Mm-hmm. It's a full coverage from your ankles all the way to your neck. Um, and, but if you don't have coveralls or you don't want right. to go buy coveralls, um, then bibs do a Is pretty that, decent job I, as well. I prefer bibs and a coat because it's not as much ice fishing the same, mm-hmm. but we were talking about trapping earlier in this episode. Mm-hmm. And the really nice thing about bibs is you can pull your coat off. Yeah, you can. It, to cool down. Because you don't want to get overheated. You can dump a lot of heat. Yeah. And, you know, and I think the same thing would go with ice fishing too. 
you know, I prefer bibs because yes, there is a possibility of a draft, mm-hmm. but it's a lot better cut off. I don't like just plain snow pants. Never have. No, me either. They fall down easy. Yeah. Same reason I don't like regular old rain pants. They just are. <laughs> yeah. They just suck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, yeah. there's the only good thing about them is they keep you dry, or in this case, snow pants, they keep you warm. Right, yeah. Right. You know, and, and and same thing, a lot of them, you know, you're dealing with the same things with the snow if you're sitting down, you know, right. to, that you want to stay dry from well, the, from any kind of that. And the other thing with snow pants is when you sit down in the snow mm-hmm. and that back starts to lean back, just like any pants do, they'll scoop that snow right up and shove it right down where you don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm they talking sure about? sure will. I've done, yep, it's happened to me. That's yep. why I like bibs. Yep, I am definitely a bib, a bib guy. Um and, and bibs, like you had said, if you plan on doing multiple things like ice fishing and trapping, um, would be a lot more universal for mm-hmm. both both settings. Um, a, a good thing, kind of like what you were saying with the like refrigerator and even Arctech and all those other ones. Right. Um, when you're, uh, they're not super expensive. No. You know, I mean, you can get into a pair of uh, coveralls for, you know, two, three hundred bucks right. with one of those. And they actually work really well for mm-hmm. what, they're, what they're designed to do. Um, but just dress warm. You know, be out. You don't want to be hating life while you're out there. That makes it less fun. Yeah. Um, but a good way to do that in an even better way is if you're able to invest in an ice shanty of some sort. They've got mm-hmm. a bunch of them in stores all over town, yeah. um, all over any town really that has a population here in Alaska. Um, you'll be able to find um, different ice shack styles. Right. Uh, some are insulated, some aren't. And you want to be careful depending on the temperature range that you're going to mm-hmm. be in and the heat source you plan on putting in that thing. If you're using uh, propane, right. you know, you want to make sure that you're, you're using a safe propane heat source and your tent is not just going to condensate with all that uh, propane mm-hmm. moisture in there and create more of a problem for you. Um, but the insulated uh, fish hu- ice fishing huts are really nice. They, those are expensive though. Um, you're going to be in several hundred dollars for one of those i've never used one of those specifically mm-hmm. um I, my dad has a or he did i think he still has it he built a ice fishing shack yeah right and he just put it on skids mm-hmm. and in the winter time he would just hook it up to a snow machine and drive it down onto the ice yep and he would drill holes in the ice and then pull it over top of the holes yep. and then when the holes froze over you just you know next time you go down there you you pull it out, of, you know, if the ice was too thick, mm-hmm. you just pull it out of the way with the sled again. Yep. Drill the holes out and slide it back. Yep. You know, now it's a little bit of overflow and it froze into place. Now it all kind of sucks, but. Yeah. But that, <laughs> you know, now we had a gravel pit close by. It was a stocked gravel pit and mm-hmm. that's what we did a lot growing up. Yeah. No, but, and it's a, it's a great way to just kill some time. You, right. You know, a lot of these uh, lakes and stuff like that, you can, you can keep them, you can eat them, you know, yeah. if you want to do a, uh, what do they call that? A catch and cook, you know, be out there with your, oh. with your Coleman stove and, you know, flay up whatever you catch. Uh, some areas, you know, obviously again, look at the regs, but you know, some areas are catch and release, but, yeah. um, uh, some lakes do require your eyesight to be registered. They do. Yeah. So just make sure you look into that. Some of the gravel pits and other stuff way out of town, you might be okay. But like, if you like Birch Lake is real popular, mm-hmm. but you're supposed to register your eyesight's out there, right? Yeah. And I've never done it. I just know that's, that's a thing. Yeah. You are supposed to, I think it has something to do with whether it's a state recreational area or something like that. Probably. It, um, which and, Birch Lake is. Yeah, it is. A, a lot of those big ones well, near town or, are. Or courts or something yeah, like courts. that. Yeah, well, courts. Um, the cool thing. <laughs> hard Luck Lake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and the, you know, but with those areas, mm-hmm. um, if, especially if you're newer to town and you just want to kind of get into it and experience right. ice fishing in Alaska, a lot of the state recreational lakes um, will have huts that you can rent. 
Yeah. So once the ice gets thick enough, they'll they'll push these huts out, and some of them, you know, I think Birch Lake has like eight, six or eight different huts that they'll put really? out there, depending on the year. Um, and they'll they'll plow out a lane to them and everything, you so can you drive can walk your truck out right to them. Oh, I've done that. Some yeah. Of them, yeah. It was late enough in the year. Yeah. Obviously, check the ice thickness. Quartz Lake. Quartz Lake but, will have a road plowed on the ice, mm-hmm. like all ha- halfway around the lake yeah. that you can drive your yep. pickup truck on. And, and the the rental is. I think it's like midnight to midnight, so you okay. can get it for a full day. It's yeah, not never, super expensive. And never they have, done that either. It's it's essentially just a plywood shack that has a wood stove in it. Okay. So you bring your own wood. You can burn wood in there, stay warm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like burning wood because it's a drier heat. Mm-hmm. It'll keep you dry. Um, but you can use you know propane to to get it started, get it heated up in there right. to to kick it off. Because when you roll out there and it's negative forty, it can be a while before that thing really starts holding right. some heat. <laughs> well, the nice but, thing about propane too, especially in a plywood shack, it's not as big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, nice thing about propane is you can start it and it'll just go. It'll just go yep. until it runs out. Exactly. Right? Whereas yep. wood, you got to stock it. You know, which is all with which you're ice fishing. It's not like you don't have time for it. You could just about right <laughs> bring a tablet or something out there, right. watch movies while you're ice fishing. Well, right? and that's the great thing about it. You know, like if somebody doesn't want to dedicate the time to a trap line and they don't want to, you know, dedicate the the discipline it takes to predator hunt but they still want to get out of the house and enjoy right. the winter times and not just sit on the couch and watch netflix all day or something like that and you know look you out the windows longingly netflix all day you can sit in an ice Netflix, <laughs> exactly <laughs> um you know watch you know um but the science of that is really not complicated if, if you have any kind of fishing experience whatsoever so um just understand the the situations you're going to get into as far as the weather mm-hmm. and the conditions of the ice make sure the ice is safe to walk on always right don't want to be falling through um, and just have fun. That's the yeah. biggest thing with that is just if, if you can't stand being out there when it's super cold and you need some kind of a hut to warm up in, that's mm-hmm. no shame, right? Like as long as you're out there having fun right. and you're enjoying your winter time, winter depression up here is real. Yeah. You know, a lot of people get really, really down in the winter time and it's totally understandable. It's dark, it's cold. Mm-hmm. There's, you can't really get out and do a lot of hiking. I mean, there's people that do like cross country skiing and stuff like that, which great yeah. um but um you know getting out and being active and doing right. something that you enjoy is, is a huge part of enjoying the winters up here um and ice fishing is a great way to do that i will say i think the reason most people get depressed in the winter time mm-hmm. is because they sit inside and watch netflix exactly right? yep. we mentioned that and you know what every once in a while you might take a day and do that personally oh, i do all the time i'm just kidding um personally for you know for me like my equivalent to sitting inside watching Netflix all day is actually sitting down and watching a movie all the way through. Right. Yeah. Okay, it happens maybe three or four times yep. a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I feel like it, it I, I watch more movies in the middle of the day or at night during mm. a hunting season because oh, do you really? there's nothing else to do. And then I will yeah. during the regular because yeah. there's so much going on. If I'm at home trying to spend time with my family, which isn't necessarily watching a movie, right? That's true. Yeah. Or if yeah. I'm, you know, or I'm, on my computer editing podcasts working on the website if i'm not working on my, right. our website i'm working on somebody else's website yeah i'm researching i'm studying i'm you know there is keeping yourself busy i'm, I'm all right. there's so much to do right and so little time to do it Yep. They now, are, I, I take advantage a little bit of the of the hibernation now we'll see how that yeah. goes this year with some of the things we have planned to do i don't think i'm gonna have time to hibernate right. but um you know there's that saying that you know alaskans sleep in the winter you know, it's kind of the same thing, you know, you're running yeah. around like crazy all summer. Um, it's not a, there's no shame in taking some, some downtime, right. you know, catching up on sleep, catching up on rest, you know, 
like um for me it's just me and my wife you know we don't have children right, right now so for us you know sitting down and binge watching huh. some some uh hmm. homestead rescue or something like that is is you know that's cons- a good quality time experience it. really it's a no. great show you should look it up There's a lot of shows i haven't heard of <laughs> yeah. i don't have time to watch them well, right. yeah. and i do but, have kids so that's a whole different exactly yeah you need a lot more quality time there but if you want to get out of the house i mean you can't do that all the time you know because that's when you do start right. getting that lack of sunlight you know what little sunlight we do have mm-hmm. here you know you should really be taken advantage of um and getting out and just doing some fishing i mean it's a great way yeah. to do it now one cool fish that we have up here um is the burbot and that one can be a little bit different yeah um, i've never fished for it yeah the, it's a lot of fun we'll have to get we'll have to go out and do that this winter um so with burbot you can sit there and and you know dip a, a fishing pole mm-hmm. in the water and, and just kind of bounce it off the bottom if you want to right. um and that you will catch them that way but what a lot of people will do is they'll do set lines mm-hmm. um so the difference between um that's one big difference. The other difference is that there are some lakes. I'd have to look in and see if in the interior. I know in, in Southeast, there's a lot of lakes that have bourbon in them. But up here in the interior, a lot of the times they're in the rivers. Um, and sloughs And yeah, I'm, I'm sure they are. I just don't know which ones. Right. Um, but when you can go out there in the wintertime, mm-hmm. once these rivers are sufficiently iced up right. and it's safe to walk on, and you can go out there same thing as on a lake, drill a hole in the ice. You can drop your set lines in there. Mm-hmm. And um, there's some requirements there. Um, I took Some rivers you're not notes. allowed to use set lines. Like that's yeah, all. obviously always look at the regs. Yeah. But um, if you are setting, setting lines for these things, um, you want to, it's not like a trot line. No. You know, for anybody that's familiar with trot lines, it's, it's a different, you're basically, you're drilling a hole in the ice and you set a, a rod of some sort, whether you use a branch or you bring out a special dowel mm-hmm. rod or, you know, anything that you want it, that's going to kind of rest on top yeah. of that hole. Keep that line from going under. Use your rat sticks. <laughs> yeah. Use your rat sticks. And, um, you basically, you take like some 550 cord or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you just, you gauge how much you need to reach the bottom. Cause that's, the, that's one kicker there is, is burbot. They're a really interesting fish. They're a bottom. They're, thing, they? they're a pod. Okay. That act like a catfish and taste like a lobster. Hmm. So they're really good eating. One of the names for them, if, if you're, anybody's familiar with them or not familiar with them, is poor man's lobster. Okay. Um, and there's the weird thing about burbot is regionally they have like probably a dozen different they're names a weird for them. Looking fish. And they're an odd looking fish. Yeah. Um, but essentially you, you, you take a, a stick that'll, you know, clear both sides of that of that hole so that mm-hmm. way it can't fall through you tie your set line off to that and you want to use a heavy weight at the end of your line so it holds it at the bottom especially mm-hmm. if you're in currented water now if you're in a lake that has burbot and you're able to um do set lines for burbot in that right. lake then you don't have to use as heavy as of a weight because there's, mm-hmm. there's no moving water down there but one of the rules is your set has to be on the bottom of whatever water source you're using um there are uh hook requirements uh, one of them is your, your hook has to have a gap of at least three quarters inch or greater from okay. the point to the shank. Okay. So you have to use a big hook for these things. Um, 
which are easy to find. They're in every single fishing right. store. You don't use like a halibut style hook, do you? It almost looks like that. Okay. It does. It has a really wide hook and then and comes, it back. comes back in. Yep. And comes back in. Um, it's, it's a very similar looking hook, just the little, little not, tiny version of it. Not the big of, yeah. not, not three inches or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, but you just put, if you're in moving water, you know, an eight ounce weight at least will get right. you down to the bottom and, and make it to where you're not just running that thing out and mm-hmm. it's not freezing to the side of the hole that you're digging. Um, and then they just like live, not live, but once living bait is the best thing you can use for them. Um, they're very dependent on smell. Okay. Um, they're, uh, so if you're, a lot of people used to say you could use other, uh, tackle for them but realistically if you just put like some herring or something like that on that hook mm-hmm. that's going to be your best bet cut them in half you know or make like sure shrimp i don't i've never heard of anybody using okay. shrimp i know I just, uh that's more curiosity yeah i've never heard of that it might work they're they're a predatory fish you know right. so they're just going to go after whatever they find right tasty um I mean, lamprey is another really good one that people say, like to use um, but good luck finding some in this town for ice fishing in general mm-hmm. or regular just like bait fishing mm-hmm. offshore in the summertime one of the best baits i've found that you know growing up that we use all the time is we mm-hmm. just go to the store and go buy those frozen little tiny like the oh, popcorn yeah. size shrimp yeah the cocktail They're, shrimp yeah exactly yeah, the cocktail yep. shrimp. you just buy that and you just throw it in the you know and you just take a little bit with you every time yep and i think that's the same thing it's that it, it has it's not only alluring because shrimp will obviously spin in the water as you're jigging right. but you know it's, it has a scent to it a smell yeah. in the yeah. water and so these fish can catch on to that right. um and so the other thing with burbot lines specifically um is there's some requirements as far as setting them you have to tag your set line okay if you go out and do that you can't just randomly go out there and drill a hole and put it in there and mm-hmm. just leave you know you've got to have a tag on it with your name um Fishing game has, I think, some templates you can use to to make okay. that tag. Um, so obviously use their template because then that's the best way to not right. get in trouble. Um, you have to check it daily, so you cannot set it and then come back three days later. You have to be able to check it daily. So the best um, practice I've done is you set them in an evening time, like after work, mm-hmm. um, because most like burbot will bite any time of day. Um, they are you know, obviously hungry right. all day, but they're most active during the darker okay. hours. Um, so well, in the winter, time. in the winter time, it's always dark, <laughs> right. right? So, um, and the other thing is they like cold, cold water. They're okay. very cold water fish. So, um, one thing that they, they hang out in like confluences a lot too, um, because that'll be where, uh, you know, their, their prey is coming right. in and out and, and everything. So look for, for those kinds of, of conditions and, Make sure you're checking it daily. If you set it after work one day, make sure you can come back and check it the next day. Okay. Um, now, as far as I know, there's no, like, I don't think you have to update your tag, you know, that your, okay. your little label tag on your lines, you know, every time you check mm-hmm. it. I'm not aware of any requirement that you have to do that. Um, but they do, Fish and Game will check lines every once in okay. a while, especially if they see them, if you've got a flag marker or something like that. Um, they'll pull it up and if it, you know, if there's, old fish on there mm-hmm. and they can usually tell how long the fish has been on the line and right. dead for, um, you'll, you will get in trouble. That's, that's a Let big, me throw out a hypothetical for you. Yeah. Say, uh, you find a 
state cabin somewhere that's got a lake nearby. Mm-hmm. You rent it. You run out there with your sleds. You could set burbot lines mm-hmm. and then go predator call. Yeah. And then come back and check your burbot lines. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, that sounds like that's <laughs> that sounds like a great trip. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea, Mo. <laughs> um, okay. But, and the other thing too, you can set multiple hooks on each line. So, um, set them like a foot apart or something. Yeah. Normally. So you want to have your main line Uh and then you put leaders on that line that'll hold the hooks off to either side. Okay. What I'll normally do when I'm building them is all sprung leaders, just the spinner leader. Yeah. Like the 18 inch one foot, you know, steel leaders, um, just to hold it off the edge of the line a little bit, put your hook at the end of that. But what I'll normally do when I'm building them with 550 cord is I'll take those leaders and I'll lay them down on the cord and make sure that they're not touching enough for the hooks to get tangled up because that is one of the most annoying things is when you go to pull your line back up and nothing's on it and your hooks are all tangled up right. because the current pushed things around and whatnot. So as long as you just keep them spread out enough that they're not going to tangle up on each other mm-hmm. um, and keep in mind, you're only allowed to have as many hooks on a line as the bag limit is okay. for the day. So, and that is one thing that will change so, sometimes lake to lake, sometimes unit to unit is that change also is that how many hooks you have in the water how many hooks you have in the water total so total so if you spread that out across three set lines okay. one set line doesn't matter but you can't have more hooks in the water mm-hmm. under your name than what the total daily bag limit is okay. now, or that lake river whatever system you're running right so from the for just asking questions mm-hmm. here um obviously like i said i've never done this but i'm interested in it. i'd like to try it this winter so I've, I've known a lot of guys that will do like a, just a one day, like say Saturday or Sunday, mm-hmm. they, they just go out there all day yeah, and they do it for the day because, you know, most people, it's not realistic to set it one night and come check it the next night right. because, you know, it, there's a good chance it's going to be 30 minutes or an hour away from your house. Right. Yeah. And if you have time, then great, you can do that. But I don't, I don't really have that kind of time. <laughs> right. Right. Maybe in the winter. And a lot of people don't. Right. Yeah. So, you know, or I don't have the guarantee. Like mm-hmm. I might be able to, but something might come up and I'm not going to be yeah. able to check it that next day. No, being out there for just a day is mm-hmm. still perfectly viable. Like I said, you can even fish for these things actively. Right. You know, if you, if you just want to go out there and, and bring your, your actual ice fishing pole and with just your jig near the bottom, just jig near the bottom, you know, you, you take the weight, mm-hmm. you know, you want your, your weight, you know, I'd say 18 inches away from the end of your line. Okay. Um, so that way it's on the bottom, but the, the bait can still kind of flow around a little bit. And you almost act like you're halibut fishing. You just kind of bounce that weight off the bottom that moves it around a little bit, right. kind of gets it, gets it flopping around. And if you're using bait that was, you know, like let's say herring or lamprey mm-hmm. or anything like that, um, people can use like chicken uh, gizzards and liver and stuff gotcha. like that. Anything that's stinky smell. Think of almost like catfish yeah. uh, fishing. Um, but you can literally be out there just during the day and ice fish for them off a regular okay. pole. And, and you have good chances. I mean, they, they'll bite pretty much any time. I mean, you just have a better chance um, later in the day because they gotcha. tend to get a little bit more active. So okay. an evening after work, if you just want to go out and drill a hole in a you know, river right by right. where the confluence of maybe a, a smaller water system mm-hmm. and just jig form a little bit, just bounce that weight right off the bottom and just sit there, um, you, you'll, you'll be perfectly successful there right. too. So Cool. Yeah. Um, but that pretty much wraps up ice fishing. It's pretty straightforward. Right. Just drill a hole and go fish so well, we, we covered the fur stay warm <laughs> right we've covered the fur we have we've covered the fish we have let's go get to the game there is still big game to chase in the winter time right. um caribou specifically and some moose some moose so depending on the area and the depending, time yeah 
so, a lot of stuff. But yeah, the moose are much, <laughs> the much more limited during there's, that time of year. But there's draw hunts for moose is right. mostly what those are. Yeah, or like very remote areas. Right, in remote areas, and even some non-remote areas. Um, do some research because all over the state there are winter moose hunts that you mm-hmm. can go out to. Um, some are antlerless. You know, if they're late enough in the year. Right. Um, some are, you know, have similar requirements, but, uh, and some are, you know, archery only, some, some are, are firearms, some are muzzleloader. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of opportunity there still, but the most common thing, big game that people chase during the wintertime is caribou, caribou, um, several different herds you can chase mostly through the year. Um, if you go, I believe up is yeah. open pretty it's, much till the end of March, I want to say. From the fall to the spring, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I think and, and March 31st is when it closes down. And, it, and it's kind of weird up there with the way the units and things work. Like, mm-hmm. there's sections of the road that, like, one side of the road is open and the other side of the road isn't. Or there's a different limit depending on the side of the road. Right, you. I, it's been a while since I've gone through all the, I used to know what it was because I used to drive it for work. Mm-hmm. And the company I worked for wouldn't have been a big deal if I'd pull, stepped out and stepped out the side of the road and tried to carry it with my bow. Right, right. Yep. I worked with truck drivers and be like, yeah, we'll throw it on the truck. <laughs> Um, but you know, that was, I used to know all that, but that's a, and that's honestly, I think the best time to hunt the hall road for caribou Mm -hmm. is probably in the winter time Yeah, because you can put over whites on Mm -hmm. and you can blend in with the terrain. Uh, I've talked to guys who've done it. And so when it's snowing, now one, it's a lot easier to get lost when it's snowing, (laughs) especially if you're doing a long hike. And especially if it's windy, because that whiteout gets real. Also that snowing. If you're wearing over whites, you can walk right up to the caribou. Yeah. Because they can't see you. Right. You know, because the snow, just the same way you can hardly see them. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you're wearing whites, you know, you can get a lot closer, a lot easier. Yep. You know, uh, Dalton and I went up there to do some predator calling, right? Mm-hmm. Last winter. And we had the thought beforehand, should we bring our bows? And we're like, nah. We got up there and there were caribou everywhere. Was there? Yeah. I mean, we could have, we could have probably both limited out every we really <laughs> wanted to. It was, it was sad. That's awesome. But yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, you know, the, I know you really got to watch the migrations up there mm-hmm. and where they're wintering and things like yeah. that and keep an eye on that. Um, cause that is a long ways to go just to have a long barren stretch of road. But I've heard a lot of people having great success up there. Um, a lot of people that do their, do their research, be safe, go mm-hmm. up there and, and just clean yeah. house. Um, but the other, I would say big one here in the state is the, the 40 mile hunt right. continues into the winter. Usually the um, winter 40 mile hunt specifically that's true it is a different registration hunt um so you have to go in you have to report the fall get your registration for the uh the winter hunt but that's one where you've really i mean all of these are but you've really got to watch the the opening and the the quotas on those yeah because like with this year you know they had 680 bulls taken in just two of the zones where the total harvest quota for all four zones was only 750 um, now last I heard, they haven't released the update yet as the time that we're recording yeah. this, but last I've heard, we're still below that 750 total quota mm-hmm. mark for the fall hunt. Called the hotline yesterday. And it was still the, uh, one in four, one, one in four, or is it one in four were closed. Two right, and three yes. are open. Correct. Two and three are still yeah. open. Correct. Yep. And, uh, one in four are not set to open in the winter, I believe. Okay. I believe is what they said. I, I, I may be wrong about that, but okay. two and three were still open as of this recording. Okay. But yeah. Call the hotline I, and check because that was, <laughs> this is a week ago. Absolutely. And I, I think the last report I heard was like, uh, I think unit or zone three 
there were 40 something caribou taken in zone three and only like eight or nine taken in zone two. So we might slide in right underneath that quota. Um, we might overshoot a little bit. Um, that hunt will be over here in a couple of weeks and mm-hmm. we'll find out for sure. They'll release the winter information in October is what they said. Well, I think for they the quota. A quota for the fall, trying to leave some for the winter. They did. Yeah. So I believe the total they were trying to take out for this year was a thousand. Okay. So they did 750 for the fall, 250 for the, um, mm-hmm. for the winter. If we overshoot though, right. They're going to have to limit the winter hunt to keep it within that thousand taken. Right. Um, or not open the winter hunt at all, depending on how it looks. Yeah. Um, especially how many cows are taken because it is a bull only hunt this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting, but definitely call the hotline, keep up to date. Um, they, I think the, uh, at the end of that recorded statement, they say like sometime in early October, they'll release the actual quotas and okay. the actual dates for the winter hunt. Um, but that is a rifle hunt. So if you don't have a bow, right. you don't want to, you know, drive 12 hours to go bow hunt something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a, a viable option to go chase yeah. a caribou around in, in the wintertime. Uh, access, you know, same thing, yeah. snow machine or snowshoes, great way to get around out there. Um, and caribou country is typically windy. So Yeah, it <laughs> so, can be. You know, it's, it's funny because it can be so different one day to the next. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been up there and shot caribou and it's just beautiful. Not mm-hmm. windy, sun's out. Well, in some of those days, like 20 degrees. Yeah. Well, in some of those days when the sun's out nice and shining, even if it's negative 10, I mean, you could be out there and, you know, you still have your, your bibs on, but you know, strip your your coat off and everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The the other thing I like about winter caribou hunting is the pack out always seems so much easier. You bring an otter sled with you or something like that and roll it into that. And you can just, even if you're just on snowshoes, you just drag it right out of there. Personally, I prefer snow machine. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I do too. And we'll talk a lot more about that. And, and, the next episode. See, I can do foreshadowing too. Oh, look at that. But <laughs> look at that. I'm catching on. See, one of, but, <laughs> personally, I'm just going to say this. One of my big things I wanted to do mm-hmm. doing these two episodes a week is I wanted to do more foreshadowing because mm-hmm. like, we haven't really done that in the past. Well, we haven't done it at all. Haven't really done it at all. Yeah. So I, I like foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. I think it all got got to get people something to look forward to. Right. Right. So, so we're going to talk about some snow machining in the next episode. Exactly. But all right. Well, think we've pretty much beaten this one to death um yeah, I, I think so that's uh you know this is all there's there's even more stuff to do up here in the winter time you know we touched a little bit on some of the non-hunting right, right. activities um you know so you can definitely mix some of those in with it you know mm-hmm. i mean just snowshoeing around out behind your house or something like that is a great right. way to stay in shape you know keep yourself in shape for bear season come spring uh make sure you're not you know just missing out on all that daylight we get you yeah. know, the, the four hours we get in the middle of the day, right? <laughs> but just keeping active, keeping out there. It's a great way to, to keep your morale up through the winter months. And, you know, this is, this is the time when we really pay our rent to the state, you know, going through the winters and, and mm-hmm. dealing with it so we can enjoy these summers. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a downtime. So keep that in mind, make sure you're getting out there and being active. Uh, and, uh, if you have any questions about anything we talked about in the show yeah. today, Definitely reach out. Uh, we've got our social medias. If you search at the Northern Hunter on Facebook or Instagram, or if you're at the website, you can mm-hmm. hit the contact button, throw a little bit of information in there, and you'll be able to get a message right to us. Uh, while you're there, if you go to the shop page, got some great merch there. New stuff always coming. We've got hats, hoodies, t-shirts. Moe's wearing right. a hoodie right now. Yep. It looks real sharp. 
Um, and we have a, our sponsor page, uh, Partners, where a bunch of great companies, a bunch of great gear, they've all gotten together and believed in what we're doing. Hopefully you guys do too. If you uh, shop from any of those sponsors, right. use the discount codes that are labeled below them. We've got those links both in the Partners page on the website and in the show notes for mm-hmm. this show. So we appreciate any support. And as always, share the show as much as you can with your friends. We've had a lot of trouble with social media. And you know, the more we can spread the word to people who need it, right. the faster we'll be able to grow and make more content for you guys and just show you all about life in Alaska. So we appreciate you guys. We're going to sign off for Monday. And until Thursday, get out there, get after it. And good luck. See you there. Alright folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.